The following is a message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. You can turn in your scriptures to Isaiah 35. I can get out my glasses. The depth of resurrection power is seen in the account of Dorcas being raised from death to life. Don't take that for granted. We see, we see that, but don't take that for granted. That's uh, not a normal thing. But the depth of resurrection power is seen in that. The breadth of resurrection power is seen in Isaiah's description of the resurrection reversal. Resurrection power reaches into all of creation to bring into existence things that do not exist. As I said earlier, we usually reserve singing joy to the world for Advent and Christmas. But joy to the world is really a song version of Isaiah 53. It's the description of the breadth of resurrection power, the resurrection reach. Jesus came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. His resurrection power calls into existence the things that do not exist. And so my hope for you as you leave here today is that you will live confidently, knowing the resurrection power of Jesus that calls into existence the things that do not exist, and know that he does so in every part of your life. Having seen Isaac Watts' description of this resurrection reach, let's look at Isaiah's song or poem about it. In chapter 35, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, which is the entire chapter. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. And the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Oh, Father, thank you for this text. 
Encourage our hearts with it today. And grow in us a confidence in the resurrection reach described here in the resurrection reversal. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah is a description of a reversal that would actually happen for Israel after what? Does anybody remember what's going to happen? What's Isaiah prophesying toward? Yell it out. What? Okay, but before that, before that, Isaiah is specifically speaking to God's people about something that's going to happen to them. They are going to go into exile, right? But they're not going to stay there. Here would be the, the prophecy for them. Go, build houses, plant vineyards, marry your, your children, because you're going to be there 70 years. But after 70 years, you're coming back. And so this is what Isaiah is describing. It's this reversal that would happen after the Jews were exiled from Israel when God brought the remnant of his people back to Jerusalem. But as with many prophetic scriptures, it's not limited to this event. And Dave, you're right on. This is also describing Jesus' ministry and death and resurrection. I mean, think about it in the Gospels. Do we hear that Jesus opens the eyes of the blind and stops the ears of the deaf, makes lame people walk, and makes mute people speak? He does this work. And so the prophecy extends beyond just the exiles returning to the coming of God, right? Emmanuel, God with us. But this text doesn't end there. The prophecy extends even beyond that to that complete reversal that will occur when Jesus establishes his fully perfected kingdom in the new heaven and the new earth. This is a loaded passage, <laughs> but we're going to get through it today. We're going to get through it. Look at this description of reversal. I, I just keep reading it, and I just keep getting <laughs> excited. My wife and I did some ministry in Zimbabwe, and if you know anything about Zimbabwe in southern Africa, it's a bit of a desert. It has some desert climate. And um, so this, this idea of desert, this dryness, this deadness, it doesn't look like there's anything there. You can, you can almost taste the dust in your mouth. And this wilderness, this dry land, it blossoms abundantly. This is amazing. This is Something that's not existing, and now it exists. Dry, dead, unbearable has become lively and delightful. And then look at weak hands, strengthen them. Feeble knees, make them firm. Anxious hearts are to be strong. Why? Verse 4, because God will come and save you. See, this is resurrection reversal. The, the position we're in is precarious. In fact, it's hopeless. It doesn't just appear to be hopeless. It truly is hopeless. All the way from birth until death. It is hopeless unless a Savior comes. And that's what Isaiah is telling us. He is coming. He has come. And he will come again. Blind eyes are open. Deaf ears are unstopped. Lame legs leap. 
Mute tongues sing for, sing for joy. Waters appear. Look at this in verse 6. Waters break forth in the wilderness. Does this sound a little bit like the flood? When everything broke open and water just came gushing out? This isn't a trickle. This is God doing abundantly, calling into existence what you don't find in the desert. Lots and lots of water. Pools. Oh, burning sand. You ever walked on burning sand? <laughs> Hot. But they're now pools. Thirsty ground is springs of water, and where these jackals would lie down, the grass has become reeds and rushes. And then there's this highway. The impassable places have become a highway. When the people went into exile... The land was left. In fact, God told the people one of the reasons they were going into exile and staying there for 70 years was why. I'm testing you guys today. Let's go. Why 70 years? Does it sound like a nice number? Help me. Somebody help me. What's that? Right. The people had not observed the Sabbath. And God said, whether you like it or not, this land is going to rest, and it's going to do so for 70 years. And so there's a Sabbath. Well, what happens, in the, what happens when you leave a piece of property with nobody to attend it? <laughs> or, I mean, you might, you could, it's garden time, right? What do your gardens look like? You know, they're all weeds that you've got to pull out and get rid of, right? Wild animals had come in. In fact, it tells us that lions had come in and were disturbing the people. And so it wasn't, it wasn't safe to even get there, and it wasn't safe to be there. But God promises that what were impassable places are going to become a highway. The point of a highway is ease of transportation, right? That's why we have the interstate. So you can jump on that. Instead of trying to take Route 9 all the way down to Albany or, or, or past, you can take the highway, you take 87. And the highways are nice because... Well, the highways in the Midwest are nice because they're flat. They're not so much here, but, but they're flatter than most of the roads. And they got two, three, four lanes, and you go 65, and there's not a lot of entrance and exits, so it's hard to get lost. In fact, he, he says here that the, the simple or the fool, the person that uh, has no sense of direction, can't get lost. They shan't, they're not going to go astray. Once they get on that highway, it's going to be... Smooth sailing for them. Those who've been exiled, look then at verse 10, have been bought back, they've been ransomed, and they're returning to their real home singing. Sorrow and sighing is fleeing. Now that term fleeing is like, you know how, I don't know if you ever had this experience with maybe an older sibling that was angry at you for something. And you fled. <laughs> you put on your running shoes and you ran as fast as you could to get away. That's what's happening here. Sorrow and sighing can't stand in the presence of God coming to save his people. And it runs. It flees with fear. And is replaced by everlasting joy. That is resurrection reversal. I like the way Paul describes it. And I'm going to use some... I'm going to use this terminology through this sermon, chapter 4 of Romans. You might want to just turn there and look at that with me. We're going to bounce around a little bit today. Paul uh, is writing about uh, the promise to Abraham 
that was realized through faith. Now, God had promised Abraham what? What did he promise Abraham? I'm going to keep giving you chances until I hear. <laughs> what? Descendants. So he's, he promised them how many? <laughs> yeah. Who? If you can count the stars, you know how many. That's what he told Abraham. How many descendants did Abraham have at that time? Zero. And why was that? In part, at that point, he was, and his wife, were old, right? They were past childbearing years. An impossible promise. It doesn't exist. It can't happen. And God says, I'm going to do something. And here's how Paul puts it. God, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. I love that line. What existed for Abraham, or what didn't exist for Abraham, was not only a descendant, but the possibility of a descendant. His wife could not give him any more children, which is why they tried the whole deal with Hagar that didn't turn out very well. But God called into existence something that did not exist, a fertile womb for an old woman so that they would have an heir. Now when the exiles returned from captivity, they rejoiced in God's salvation and, and the land rejoiced as it was transformed from that desert land gone wild and reclaimed for domestic purposes. They're going to live in homes. They're going to tend the vineyards. They're going to plant crops. They're going to marry off their children. God's resurrection power and reach was demonstrated to that original group of people that Isaiah was prophesying to, in that he called into existence things that did not exist, their freedom and life. Remember, they were captive, and their land was for all purposes dead. But God promised them freedom and life and brought it to them. During Jesus' time on earth, he opened blind eyes, made lame men leap, loosed the tongues of the mute. He was the living water, giving eternal life to all who would receive Jesus called into existence things that didn't exist, wholeness and life. People are sick. People have always, they've, they've been born blind, and, he, and he, he brings sight that doesn't exist in a man's life so that he can see. And then as we look forward, we have great hope in our future with Jesus in heaven and the new earth. For he is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's a, those are terms that are to stir up our minds and hearts to think of a completeness. He will call into existence the thing that does not exist right now, and that is completeness. This is resurrection reversal. This is all because Jesus resurrected from the dead. And this reversal is it's a great reversal. I use that term great with this definition, the ability and quality that is immeasurably above the normal. This is, this is unfathomable. 
reversal. The dead soul can be made alive. Amazing. What does not exist, a soul alive to God, is called by God into existence. So Paul says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He says, I'm going to take out the heart of stone, which is dead, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, which is alive. The great reversal. You were dead on the inside, but God made you alive. This is resurrection, resurrection reach. And so let me ask you today, is your soul dead or alive? Have you lived thus far without a Savior, without Jesus Christ? Because today is the day of salvation. The great reversal is this. You can be made alive in your inner person by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. His death and resurrection has accomplished for you this mighty work. He came to save you. But that's not the end of it. That's wonderful. Having a dead soul made alive is great. But Jesus says that there is something even greater. Look over at John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says that life instead of death is not enough. John chapter 10, he's talking about himself as the good shepherd. And he says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's not just the great reversal. There's a greater reversal. A life ordered and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The resurrection reaches past just life to abundant life. That's why the Spirit has come. In fact, Jesus says this, I'm sending the Spirit, and it's good that I am. And when I do, you're going to do even greater works than me. Is your life lacking abundance today? Are you longing for a greater reversal? God can call into existence the abundance that doesn't exist in your life right now. Perhaps you're holding to some addiction. Alcohol, pornography, drugs, or food. You've tried, but you can't seem to break the hold that this has over you. But there's hope. There's a greater reversal. God can call into existence a freedom that you do not know right now. Perhaps your marriage is exploding. There's hope. There's a greater reversal. God can call into existence the love that doesn't exist in your marriage right now and bring that back together. Do you believe that? Maybe you're constantly angry and your anger is destroying relationships. You just try to keep yourself under control and it doesn't work. But there's a greater reversal. God can call into existence the peace that you're longing for. Maybe your body is sick or racked with pain. But there's hope. There's a greater reversal. God can call into existence relief for you and healing. Maybe your children have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But there's hope. There's a greater reversal. God can call into existence their return, just like the remnant here, with joy, everlasting joy upon their heads. 
Don't give up. Hold fast to Jesus. Hope against hope for the greater reversal. Because Jesus came to give you life abundantly. There's a great reversal. There's a greater reversal. What's the next progression? Greatest. The greatest reversal. For though your soul is eternally rescued, your body is perishable. Paul makes this clear in his letter to the Corinthian church when he says, your perishable body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. God will not let you in in the body that you're in. And it's not like one person's body is worse than another in this case. Thank you. You're right. Nobody gets in. Best athlete, a paraplegic. Doesn't matter. You can keep your body fit and trim. You can, uh, you can win those Iron Man things. But that body is not inheriting the kingdom. You have to have a new body, what, what Paul calls a spiritual body. It's the kind of body Jesus received at his resurrection. Look over at Luke. Luke gives us an account that's very helpful in this. In chapter 24, it's an account of Jesus uh, coming to his disciples. It's in verses 36 through 43. I'm going to read that. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit or a ghost. They had seen Jesus crucified. They had seen Jesus put into a tomb. And now they see what appears to be him. And the best that they can think in their mind is this must be a spirit being. Jesus understands what their trouble is, and he says, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. How would that show them that it's Jesus? Nail marks, right? He had nail marks in his hands and his feet. He later tells Thomas, like, put your finger in there. Touch me and see, he says. I was just imagining, like, who's the first person to go up and... <laughs> See if Jesus is really in a body. That could be kind of freaky to like reach through. Probably Peter, right? <laughs> and look what Jesus says. A spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. The resurrected body is not some, when, when Paul calls it a spiritual body, he's not talking about it as some spirit thing where we, we kind of float around, we have no, no bodily essence. The, the body is going to be Paul tells us, very similar to the one you have now. Only, it's going to be complete and perfect. Not even an amen for that. Wow. I miss you, Armstrongs. <laughs> but Jesus wants them to be sure that they understand that he is more than just a spirit being. And he says to them, have you anything here to eat? Because the spirit doesn't eat food either. And they give him some broiled fish, and he takes it, and he eats it before them. Jesus wants them to be clear. This is the body. Now, obviously, his body's a little different than ours, right? He seems to, like, appear and disappear. And, and in some cases, not really be recognized. So there's something different there, and Paul tells us that. Paul says, when you go out and you plant a seed, the seed doesn't look like the final product. 
Our bodies are similar. They're going to be different in some way. There's a dimension to them that we, in our weakness, cannot understand. The greatest reversal is still coming. When everything, everything will be put right. When all things that do not currently exist will be called into existence. When your dead body will be called into a new body. So Paul says again in 1 Corinthians 15, this is how it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And he's talking about what he describes in Thessalonians to the church there. When Jesus returns to make everything right and complete, Our bodies in the grave are going to come out, but they will come out as new bodies. And if we're not already dead, the body we have will be translated. It will be changed in some way so that it is a spiritual body, so that it is imperishable and in glory and in power. And a couple verses down, he writes what have become some of my favorite verses, 54 through 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality. So just be clear here, this hasn't happened yet for anybody except Jesus, first fruits. The rest of us are waiting for the day when all of us will get that new body together. But when that happens, he's talking about now when that happens. When all the bodies rise up from the grave and they're imperishable and immortal, then will come to pass the saying that Isaiah wrote, death is swallowed up in victory. And then he says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hope, confident hope, stay with Jesus because this is what's going to happen in the end. When we all look death in the face and go, you lose. There'll be no more. That's what Revelation at the end is describing for us. There's no more death. It's gone. It's been destroyed. Jesus will come And he will save. So brothers and sisters, consider that first of all, because Jesus resurrected, you can live with confident confident hope for great reversal. The spiritual need in your life that did not exist has been called into existence by God. He has taken out a dead heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. Your soul is secure. Which is why he says, nobody can pluck you out of my father's hand. Your soul is secure. Jesus has come and saved you. And because Jesus resurrected, you can live with confident hope for greater reversal. The abundant life that may not exist in your life right now can be called into existence by God. He can make your life much better than you ever dreamed. Jesus comes and saves, even now. And because Jesus resurrected... You can have hope 
for the greatest reversal. One day, you will receive your imperishable body and live forever in your real home, in your real body. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to do that. He's going to call that into existence. What a blessing. And so what do we do? We strengthen weak hands, whether they're our own or our neighbor's. We make firm, feeble knees, whether they're our own or our neighbor's. We say to those with anxious hearts, be strong, fear not. God came to save you. God comes to save you. God will come to save you. Indeed, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is deep and wide. Our Father, thank you for such encouragement. You call into existence what isn't there. Oh, let us cast away our feeble attempts to do that. We can't. We're wasting our time and losing precious, precious fellowship with you and our brothers and sisters. Help us give it away. Turn from ourselves to Jesus and hold fast to him. That those here, Father, who have yet to experience the great reversal would do so by faith in Jesus Christ. Those who have that new heart would have greater reversal in an abundant life. And, oh, Father, we cry out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, so that the greatest reversal might be ours. Our bodies will be complete, and we will be forever with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.